0: Well, hello and welcome, and we're back again this week for a topic we've been following for quite some time now, parametric insurance. Well, there's a lot of interest in this area, but it can be tough to line up all the important parts, distribution, product, capacity, and of course, analytics. Well, since we last spoke to founder and CEO Jonathan Gonzalez in March last year, he has been very busy raising money, growing his client base, and expanding into new areas. Well, I'm Matthew Grant, but Henry Gale is your host for this one. And if you only just discovered us, you can find out what we're up to at Instec and how we can help you, whether you're an insurer or technology company, on www.instec.co. Instech is accredited for continuing professional development by the Chartered Insurance Institute, and you can earn up to 0.5 CPD hours by listening to our podcast. You can find the learning objectives on our website, www.instec.co or in the episode description. Whilst you're there, please do take a minute to complete the feedback form. We are always keen to hear what you think of the podcast. Jonathan, welcome back to the podcast. We last spoke to you in early 2022, and you told Matthew about how your personal experience with an unpaid claim led you to found Raincoat uh, to bring parametric insurance at scale to communities that are exposed to natural disasters, weather events around the world. And you're currently providing the technology for several of those programs, protecting people against climate risks. And you've actually raised a lot of funding, $11 million in funding since our last podcast. Uh, Anything I've missed in that description?
1: I mean, it feels like it's been longer than a year. And our focus has definitely always been to elevate this category, particularly for the masses, as a technology partner, first and foremost.
0: So elevating the category of parametrics. There's a lot of companies talking about parametrics. Many of them have come on this podcast to talk about parametric insurance, and they've all got their own interpretation of what parametric means. What does parametric mean for you, Jonathan, and for Raincoat?
1: So you'd think that as a startup in the category, I'd have this really profound opinion on parametrics. But the reality is, I think parametrics are a tool, a really powerful tool, but just a tool a tool that has to be accompanied by everything else that surrounds a good insurance product, but by itself it really doesn't mean a lot. Uh, Not all parametrics are created equal, not all parametric products are good, and not everything should be parametric. That said, it's a super incredible, powerful tool that can enable you to build products and categories that may have been impossible to do otherwise, and touches on the fundamentals and hopes of what good insurance should be. And in that sense, I think it's the future. And I also think ultimately, the name will be dropped eventually, and we'll probably just call it insurance, Uh, just regular insurance that just so happens to be parametric.
0: And for those that don't know what parametric means as a tool is that claims are paid based on pre-agreed event triggers, rather than having payouts that are assessed by a loss adjuster and so forth. And this is a concept that has become more popular recently. As I say, you're not the first
1: company to look at doing this at scale. Why has it proved so difficult? It's funny that you ask because Renko basically revolves around addressing the things that have made it difficult. And how we collaborate to resolve these things is essentially the core of what we do. But basically there have been four major categories that I would say have made it very difficult to scale these types of products. The first is data availability and quality. At a macro scale, these types of things may not matter, particularly when it's like big payments to like single parties. But as soon as you bring them down to a granular, detailed level, particularly at individuals, they start to matter. The difference between one neighbor and another, one region and another. And collaborating with data providers, investing in data collection infrastructure, and leveraging advanced technologies is very critical for this to work at scale. The second thing that has been a real challenge is the IT infrastructure that usually surrounds these deployments. And I don't mean specifically around the product, but I mean everything else, from how is the claims experience and payments managed, enrollment, issuance, the policy management integration, all the way to the educational interfaces. There's so much that's needed to get these products off the ground. And without partnering, these things can be super expensive and oftentimes balloon out of control and out of budget. So we've developed a whole series of modules on our end that allows us to really tackle a lot of these challenges in a cost-effective way. And then one of the other components is the importance of packaging and distribution of the product. The average person really doesn't care if something is parametric or not. They just want good insurance and they want it to work. And what's good for one person may not be good for another. And that nuance takes time to develop. And that's why we see each deployment as a long-term relationship where we can navigate these waters with the partner and really figure out what's the best fit given the context of the product and the market. And the last component is regulatory uncertainty and market perception. And this one I think gets better every day, but the reality is that this is a very new category of product there are biases, there are past experience, there's a lot of baggage that you have to work with. And some of these things can sometimes kill a product entirely. So engaging with regulators early on, actively participating in regulatory discussions and adapting to local requirements is critical and oftentimes fairly complex, but it's something that I think we've gotten pretty good at dealing with.
0: And definitely an area where it helps when there's been a pioneer who's managed to launch a product in a specific area and then others can follow and that sort of opens the door for parametrics. So you mentioned at the start there, data availability, if you're going to model the risk and then pay the claims for the right people at the right time. I wanna come back to the the thing you said about packaging and distribution, But, but IT infrastructure, obviously insurance companies already need this to distribute and manage claims and educate their customers on
1: traditional policies. What makes Parametric different? I'll give you an example. Let's say you were a traditional insurer in Puerto Rico in 2017 when Hurricane Maria hit the island. You had a policy management system, but your policy management system depended on a series of steps to get through the process, whether that's a human being calling and filing a claims or a letter or some sort of procedure. Let's say that that same concept were to apply in a parametric sense, then maybe that process isn't the same. Maybe the insurance company is the one notifying the customers, right? Which means now they're utilizing a component of their claims process in the beginning of the process rather than at the end. In addition to that, there's stuff like data visibility for the customers, having integrations directly with the data feed so that customers are well aware of what's happening with their policy, the status of things, the integrations of banking. So are all these little components that individually, there's a good chance that the insurance company has these components, but as a sequence, right, as a process flow they might not necessarily have it strung perfectly, right? And that's where they need the support from a modular perspective, where we can cover some of the gaps that might be missing as part of that process. But I would say that each deployment is very different. Each partner is very different. Their capabilities vary quite a lot. Each project has its own challenges in that sense from an IT infrastructure perspective. So tell me
0: a bit more about those partners and what the distribution process looks like for the parametric products that you've worked on.
1: So in our case, I'd say that partners fall into two sort of major categories. One category are entities in the insurance stack, whether those are insurance companies, financial institutions, brokers, reinsurers that are looking to expand revenue streams by providing new products in the parametric category whether those are new standalone products or those are embedded products within other products that they have the motivation in this context is always new offerings new revenue opening the market and expanding the pie the other big macro category that we work with from a partner perspective are entities that aren't necessarily looking to sell a product but rather looking to purchase a product At a very granular or kind of mass consumer basis and here you'll find governments for example that are trying to protect large sets of populations and trying to embed it as part of some sort of um, benefit program or even corporates that are looking for the benefits of parametrics either because it makes sense to add it on as part of a core product that they do a product that might not even be insurance related right it might be something else or because they see it as a benefit that they need at a granular level, either because of their employees or anything of the type. So I would say those are the two big macro categories and how the product is sort of packaged, distributed and embedded depends on which of these two sides of the coin you're basically involved with.
0: So tell me a bit about why people are buying parametric. Is it to replace the
1: traditional insurance policies that they have? Is it an additional policy While a lot of people talk about parametrics as a complementary product to traditional, and I really do believe in many cases you'll see that, we've also found it to be a really effective tool to open up entirely new market segments and expand the pie for everyone. So an example that I'll give is in my native Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, one of the biggest challenges that consumers have in getting traditional insurance is that they may not necessarily have the title of their home because of the historical context of where they live, because of how the house was constructed, there might be these missing elements, which means that they're essentially excluded entirely from all of the possibilities, whether that's FEMA, help after a disaster, or an insurance company offering a product. And what we have found is that for those sectors, where oftentimes it's very difficult to get insurance, a parametric product works very well. You're not competing with anything traditional in that sense, and you really are giving them sort of peace of mind because they are aware of the risk and exposure that they have. They just don't have access to products. And I think that this is an area where parametrics can truly fill in the gap, as they say, and cover scenarios where normally a traditional product would be challenged in covering that.
0: That's a really good point. Some people just simply don't have access to insurance. As you mentioned, FEMA, which is the Federal Emergency Management Agency in the US, which distributes funds to people after a disaster. And I know that actually since you were on the podcast last time, some of the people in Puerto Rico who are insured with parametric policies that involve raincoats, they've actually received payouts.
1: Tell me a little bit about how they've responded to that. So it's been great. We've actually had activations, I think, in every market that we're live. So it's been really interesting to kind of see that broad spectrum. And I would say that people are very pleasantly surprised that the policy actually does what it says it does. In the case of Puerto Rico after Hurricane Fiona, there were people that received payments within 48 hours. That was 24 hours after notification. The net promoter score has been really, really high. I would say 9.6 and above in many cases. Of course, this depends a lot on the packaging of the product, what was the ultimate purpose of it, and did it meet the expectations. But for the most part, it is a magical experience to kind of see this operate live. So it's really exciting to see how consumer expectations about their insurance change as well, right? And, and these people are now like, wow, this works, and I want to renew, and I'd love all of my insurance products to be this fast and this quick, and, and I think it's a really nice thing.
0: And that's a massive contrast from traditional insurance, where insurance companies expect their policyholders
1: to have a pretty tough time with the claims process and probably not renew in the end. Exactly. And oftentimes, I think the surprise is that there's no receipts, right? In the context of this product that you are mentioning in Puerto Rico, there were people that would ask us like, hey, you're not going to ask me anything. Do I need to provide anything additional? And it's like, no, you know, the attestation that you gave, that's sufficient that's it. It's your money. Do with it as you will. And, and what's also interesting is everyone had these really specific cases where they knew they wanted to use the payout, whether that was replacing everything that they had purchased in their fridge because unfortunately they lost it due to the storm or going out and buying gasoline. And like it's interesting to see how people already have in their mind exactly what they would use the help for and how very often they share it with you openly.
0: That is interesting. And how does that vary across different places? We've mentioned hurricanes in Puerto Rico. What are the
1: other places where Parametric is working and filling people's needs? There's a lot of need in the agricultural sector. That's been very clear. It, it obviously depends on the market or the region that, that you're looking at. I would say it's not fair to compare, let's say, the U.S. agricultural market with an agricultural market, in, for example, in Colombia. It's a very different type of farmer and a very different type Of need, And what we have found is very similar to what I mentioned, that penetration rates of traditional products are incredibly low in some of these markets. And that requires a lot of creativity on what a new product looks like, specifically because you're trying to address this gap that's there. And for a lot of these people, it's not necessarily about what are you using the policies from like an excess expense perspective, but rather to survive, right? Because If you're a small farmer, and you invested everything in your field, and you lost everything, you don't necessarily have assets to fall back on, you don't necessarily have money that's just sitting there in a bank. So there are these very real uh, challenges, and designing a good product within these contexts is different, because you're focused on a very different kind of outcome. And that's why I think this importance of product design within the context of geography, channel, and customer is so important for the vision to actually work.
0: We had a really interesting discussion earlier this year with Carolyn Kuski on our podcast, who's written a book about understanding disaster insurance. She mentioned Raincoat and you in that book as well. And that's interesting because the US, which she's focused on, is very much a developed insurance market. But her view was there's a lot of potential for parametric type products where you can increase the disaster resilience. So do you see opportunities then both in places where you know it's a, a sort of an emerging economy as well as places where there's a really well developed insurance market?
1: Absolutely. And I would say in my specific case this is one of the areas that I get frustrated I think the most when it comes to the topic of parametrics and that is that very often people see parametrics as a thing that happens far away. There's a thing that happens in another country, right? It doesn't happen in this country. It happens in another country, in some faraway place where people need it. But the reality is that this happens very often in your own backyard, right? In in markets that you would consider, quote-unquote, developed. And as an example, let's take Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico has the highest insurance penetration rate of any market in LATAM. And when it comes to PNC products, I think it's over, might be around 14%. Very high insurance penetration. You would consider, right, under the U.S. that it has very little gap but i know it has a massive gap because i lived the massive gap right i lived it through my mother i lived it through my own experiences and the experiences of my friends living on the island there's a huge gap So I think uh, people like Carolyn, right, who's a good friend, she understands this well, where this concept of the gap is oftentimes looked at as a thing that's happening very far away, but it is very much happening in developed markets. And I think in the U.S., especially with the recent activity that's been happening in the insurance space, it will continue to accelerate. And I think it's a very serious issue globally.
0: And we'll refer people back to the previous podcast you did with us to hear more about that personal experience of the gap that you had, Jonathan. For people listening, that's a really good challenge that parametrics isn't something that happens far away. And some of our listeners are in the UK where there's floods is maybe one of the major peril in Europe. We've had a lot of heat waves recently. Where do you see opportunity for parametric where it might not have been thought of or discussed much in the past?
1: Well, I think for the most part, the industry has discussed a lot of these openly when it comes to markets and geographies and perils. I think it's more about the work, right? The work that's required to actually begin to address these gaps. So I'll give you an example. Like if we talk about the Florida market in the U.S., right? And the challenges with getting capacity and traditional products, I think that's a known fact, right? Like a lot of people know that. But the gap between knowing that there's an opportunity and actually doing the work and the actions to be able to address and cover that gap, I think that's where the real magic comes in. That's where a lot of the challenge is and the opportunity is actually doing it, right? And and figuring out how a product can be packaged, sold, distributed in those markets. And in that sense, while I think there's a ton of opportunity in the Americas, the reality is there's plenty of opportunity in practically the whole world that has exposure to these issues. And in that sense, I think... You can pick any combination of peril and region and there's a good chance that if you have the right constellation of partners working at it, they will find something that works given that context.
0: It necessarily requires insurers and brokers to turn this stuff from ideas to reality.
1: How have you found the
0: insurance industry in responding to and enabling these sorts of products?
1: I think it's been incredibly receptive. There is a lot of interest to start an experiment. And I think the opportunity is really ahead of us in the sense that some things are starting to work, some things require iteration. It's definitely a wave that I think is becoming stronger as time goes by. And like most waves, it will continue to refine, right? And some of that refinement grows and some of that refinement gets smaller, right, depending on the direction that you're going. And I think there's a lot of iteration, a lot of experimentation, and in that sense, a lot of openness in the market across all divisions is what we've seen and has allowed us to really iterate faster.
0: There's a lot of social good and closing the protection gap that parametrics can do, but but what's in it for
1: insurers? Why have they got incentive to get involved? There are naturally commercial incentives, right? If it's a new product, a new revenue stream, there's a lot of potential to that. But I've also found that parametrics are just exciting because If you really think of it within context, there might be insurers that have been selling the same products for decades, right? And maybe they've innovated with a lot of processes. But when it comes to creating brand new products in brand new categories, there hasn't been that much of that. And I think Parametrics represents a lot of that, right? Creativity in a direction of new products for the first time that have new challenges. And I think that's why they also work In this direction to try to experiment and iterate over what might work because that's rare, right? I can only think of a couple other scenarios in insurance where that's been the case, whether it's uh, pet insurance when it first started out or cyber insurance. Like these are also very exciting spaces because they're new. And I think the same applies to parametrics and things related to the climate.
0: And in the last eight to 10 years, we've seen quite a few examples of new parametric products being designed in different parts of the world, startups trying it out some have been successful some inevitably haven't been successful and you know there's been some mergers there's been some acquisitions you know what do you see as all of this meaning for the future of parametric is there a, a bright future ahead is it only going to succeed in some areas
1: i think startups are always tough it's always a very difficult endeavor And in that sense, I don't think parametrics are unique, right? I think that all markets where there's a lot of innovation and a lot of startups, you're going to see mergers, acquisitions, and they don't really have to do specifically to parametrics, but rather what happens when you have innovation, right? And when you have lots of companies working on different challenges. I think in that sense, I do expect a very bright future for parametrics, but there's going to be a lot of churn and pain in that process because there's always a lot of churn and pain in any innovative endeavor and any environment where you have so many people working on so many different challenges, right? Some work and some don't. And in that sense, I don't think parametrics are gonna be unique. Are
0: there any other trends that you've been following in parametric insurance recently?
1: I'm always excited when I see the potential of the evolution of the category. And what I mean by that is what does parametrics 2.0 2.0 look like? What does Parametrics 3.0 look like, right? When it comes to additions and improvements to the core offering. And whether this is an application of new data sources or data providers or broader technological shifts like AI, it's something that we're always looking at because we think fundamentally that's what matters, right? Do people want to purchase these products? Do these products do what they're supposed to do? And ultimately, There's a lot of area of improvement. I think out of all those macro trends that I've mentioned, probably the most exciting for me, but it might be because of my software background, it's AI. I think it's very, very interesting and how it's going to impact the space is still to be determined, but there are so many different areas where that impact will likely be felt and seen.
0: It sounds like you've got some ideas about how AI could impact parametric insurance. What are some of the things that you think could help enhance the scalability and impact of of these types of products?
1: I think as a whole, there are three major categories where I think AI will have an impact. One is everything that has to do with enrollment. How are policies executed and issued? I think there's a lot of area of improvement there. By definition, parametric products require parameters and they require data. And whether you use AI to collect that data or AI to validate and structure that data, I think there's going to be a lot of relevance in that front. The next area that I think is applications of AI when it comes to automation of processes internal to the insurance experience. And that is definitely the case when we see a parametric process as well, whether that is complex management of data sets, models built on that data, outputs that have to be moved from one location to another, parties that have to be notified. There's a lot of complexity where I think there is potential for automation with the use of AI in that space as well. And then the last component, there is things related to product design and how things are priced, how things are monitored, right? How A lot of this is data related, right? Where essentially there are lots of gaps. One of the biggest challenges that we find consistently is gaps in data, data that could be used to structure a product. And the applications of AI in there are really interesting. And I think we're very early right in that curve. But I do think that in the next, I don't know, a couple of years, I'd expect to see a lot of innovation on that front. So overall, I can imagine a future where insurance products are very different from what they are today. And that might take a very long time, right? That might be years or it might be decades. But I think this is a uh, adoption curve that we're definitely going to continue to see to increase. And as there's more innovation in the space, there will be a lot more applications as well.
0: So several of the parametric companies that are out there and that we've had on this podcast are MGAs. You're not an MGA. Can you explain why not and, and how
1: you actually fit in the value chain? So I get this question a lot, which is funny because it was actually a very conscious decision that we made. And it often comes wrapped in some other variation of like, so what are you right in the stack? And We are a technology partner, first and foremost, and when we first started Rainco, one of the things we asked ourselves was how could we positively impact as many people on the planet as possible? And let's say, hypothetically, we wanted to protect 1 billion people on the planet within 10 years, that would be a very lofty goal. But as we pondered that question, we quickly realized that it would probably be impossible to do that type of impact without a ton of collaboration. Collaboration with brokers, collaborations of insurers, collaboration of reinsurers, governments, channels, everything across the whole spectrum and across geography. And partnerships are critical to us, both practically and mission-wise. This gives us independence and helps us implement the specific vision of the partners that we have. And I'm not sure we'd be able to deliver on that if we were an MGA.
0: So when you start working with a new
1: partner, an insurance company, say, What does that look like? Well, very often you start at one of the two ends of the equation. You either start with a partner that has interest to explore the category, but they don't necessarily know where to start or what are the steps or even within their consumer base, where it makes sense to implement a product like this. So there's a lot of exploratory conversations and work to be able to define exactly what makes the most sense for that partner. And that is a common scenario. And another scenario is where you start with the end beneficiary in mind and then roll the rest behind that. So these are cases where we identify a particular channel where it makes a lot of sense to potentially implement a product because the people really need a product like that. And then we work in reverse from that position to identify the appropriate partners that would be able to line up that specific vision. And I'd say those are the two categories and they flow a little differently It all depends on the needs.
0: So can you give an example of of one of those?
1: I'll give you a case in Mexico. We have this large insurance company in Mexico that was very interested in deploying a parametric product. But they weren't entirely sure if they wanted to deploy it as a standalone product, as an add-on, as something on renewals, or as a benefit, right? They had all these questions that they had, and we were able to sit down with them and based on their specific reality, how do they distribute products currently? What are the channels that they have? We were able to identify specific channels within their portfolio where we believed the product would work really well. And in a matter of just three months, we were able to not only build that product for them, but work with the reinsurance brokers and the reinsurers to be able to align a product so everyone in the whole stack to be able to get that product out the door and then in addition to that provide all the infrastructure and they went live right and allowing them to go live in just a three-month period I know is pretty fast for a lot of these companies so in all the cases, they're always very impressed with how quickly things go out the door, but that comes a lot with with sort of the infrastructure we've built and the experience as well.
0: So Jonathan, tell us a bit about the recent funding you've raised. I think you've raised $11 million since you were last on this podcast, and I gather the
1: story involves the Instech podcast in some way as well. It does. So for starters, our very first lead investor was actually on this podcast, uh, Ruth from Anthemis. And it was actually a super helpful podcast to get a better framing into how venture capital was thinking about the space at the time. This was last year. 2022 was a particularly rough year for startups. So it's always really helpful to keep in touch with podcasts like these, where you can get a little bit of an insight of what the market is thinking, what investors are looking at, and sort of what's the general feeling across the board. And for us, you know, it's been very important. It's been an incredible relationship with them. We've been very fortunate to have a lot of like-minded individuals that have supported us. Startups are always hard, so I'm really careful not to celebrate or glorify fundraising too much, because fundraising is, is fundamentally a tool that you use as a means to what your ultimate vision are is. And again, I've been very fortunate to raise capital from true believers that believe in the category, understand the space very well. And also believe in us and our vision. And for that, I thank them a lot.
0: So Jonathan, what sort of people do you want to get in touch with?
1: I'd like to get in touch with everyone in the space that is looking to deploy or work uh, on parametric products. Whatever deployment it is, as long as there's a component about reaching people directly and there are maybe difficulties from the technical side of how to do that, right, and how to build a product in that regard, those are people that I want to talk to. I also love talking to other entities that are developing in the parametric space as it is, because it's a very interesting space and there's a lot of learning lessons that we can share. But ultimately, it's anyone that wants to develop a product for this category needs that additional help. We would love to partner and would love to deploy something together.
0: Why do some people come to you who might never have considered parametric before?
1: I think very often it's because they have some sort of an issue or a gap with a product that they currently have either because they're not maybe necessarily super happy about how the deployment has gone, whether it's been parametric or traditional, or because they feel there's an opportunity there, but they're not quite sure how to tackle it. These are cases where I think we excel very well. So how can people get in touch with you if they want to find out more? They can reach out to me at Jonathan at raincoat.com or through LinkedIn. And what's the one thing that people should remember about Raincoat after listening to this podcast? Raincoat is about collaboration. We want to be the technological partner for these type of deployments. We're very open to conversation, very open to exploration. And we've had partners that tell us, oh, wait, is this really a long-term relationship? Like maybe somethings don't work out perfectly initially, and they're very concerned that we might flake. And it's, no, this is a very long-term relationship. We'll be there with you. We'll iterate with you. And it's all about collaboration and expanding the pie in the market for everyone.
0: Great. Thanks very much, Jonathan.
1: Thank you, Henry.